Today's episode is brought to you by Jaipur Living. Jaipur Living is committed to the craftsmanship and quality of handmade rugs and textiles. They are keeping this age-old tradition alive through their partnership with over 40,000 artisans across India. Start creating beautiful lives for your clients across all price points by opening a trade partnership account. Sign up at jaipurliving.com HYD. On today's show, we're sitting down with Asha Chaudhary, the CEO of Jaipur Living. Jaipur Living is one of our favorite rug and textile vendors to work with. Asha shares with us how they collaborate with textile artisans globally. And he even gets into what it's like running a business with her family. Let's go. Studio Plum. And I'm Sean of Renstead Interiors. We're interior designers. Turned internet friends. Turned real life friends. Welcome to the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. We're not that hot. Or that young. Every week, we'll be spilling the tea on how a new generation of interior designers can run their businesses. Welcome Welcome to to the the club. club. Hey, hotties. We're so excited to bring you today's episode as part of a new sponsorship with Jaipur Living. Today, we're talking with the CEO of Jaipur Living, Asha Chaudhry. Asha and her sisters have built upon their father's vision, driving more awareness of their handmade products while celebrating innovation and supporting the integrity of artisans. This is fun for us because we've worked with Jaipur Living for client and personal projects. So we're so excited to introduce you to Asha. Hi, Asha. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be on the program. Thanks for having me. This all started for us in early pandemic life where we were part of the Trade Talk series with Jaipur Living and talking about developing community and encouraging designers to focus on working to lift each other up instead of competition. And then it just sort of kept growing in discussions and we've really just been so excited to get to sit down with you. Excited to be here and thank you for your partnership. We both have specified and worked with Jaipur Living's products before rugs and textile materials. And I think it makes it easy for us just to be able to talk more about that. And I know that you are really proud of your history and your connection with your artisans. And I, I know that we have some questions that we'll have to talk about that today too. So we know why we like working with your company, but tell us why you think a designer should choose Jaipur Living. Sure. What I would say is, you know, the whole Jaipur Living brand I built, I say is built really around having an incredible experience for the interior designers, because I meet a lot of interior designers. I go see them in their studio and I see how busy they are. So what we've done really over the past five years is to design a customer experience that's built around simplicity and speed and good mm-hmm. information, good, reliable information. So part of that is, you know, the swatch program that we have, you know, are incredible. I think our designers tell us we have one of the best 
e-commerce website in the industry, which gives them the power to shop at their convenience and gives them a lot of great information. You know, thousands and thousands of in-stock product that mm-hmm. they can buy instantly. So, of course, these are and an, and an incredibly friendly, amazing customer service that makes them feel welcome and really takes the time to answer their questions. And in addition to that, I would say really are high quality products. So it's funny when I say that we own everything but the sheep. <laughs> so we are <laughs> totally vertical. And 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 so my family in India does most of our handmade manufacturing and they oversee that. So what that really does for the designers really is gives them a really high quality, consistent product. And we're able to do that at really an incredible value, you know. So so I, I would say that when designers start seeing our beautiful product, they get hooked to it and they keep coming back for it because they really don't get the issues they would with a lot of other handmade products. And I think thirdly, they really resonate with our brand story because I feel mm-hmm. like they, they are looking for brands that have a unique mission purpose that they can differentiate and communicate to the end customer. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel that really resonates well with them. Agreed. I mean, I'm just going to say, like, we all know I'm the techie person. I <laughs> love the website. I mean, it's so easy to use. It's just, yeah. it makes you want to, there there are always lots of brands and sources coming at us as designers and reps trying to get in front of us. And it's just, we don't, like you said, designers don't have that time. They don't have the energy to spread it everywhere or wait three mm-hmm. days for a stock notification or, you know, mm-hmm. it's. So to be able to have that, it it just makes it that much more of a no-brainer for me to just say, I'm going to go where where I can immediately log in, see the sizes, see the colorways, know the when stuff. more are arriving. <laughs> like Even, know when yeah, the, the little color chips are really helpful. Yeah. So But to that, know all of that makes my life a million times that's like the and first, less stressful. Yeah, that's yeah. definitely like the first thing. But then, yes, adding in the layers of the stories and story of your family and how you work with the artisans is so special. Could you tell us a little bit more about the start of Jaipur Living? Sure. So, you know, we are a family business. I was born in India. I grew up in India in our manufacturing business. So my father started the company with really a hundred dollars and two looms in the back in the back of his, in the backyard of his house. And then initially when he started, what he noticed when he started working with the artisan is that they were one of the most underserved people in society. So, you Mm -hmm. know, there were a lot of middlemen and contractors, they weren't getting paid well. So what he did was build this really unique, uh, doorstep entrepreneurship model that I call it, (laughs) where the artisans, really, we take everything to the artisans doorstep. So they get to work from their homes, Mm. they don't have to travel. So we drop the raw material and, and, and they make these incredibly beautiful products of art in the comfort of their homes. Still, Um, you still do that. We still do that. So we still, so basically he grew that from two artisans to 48,000 artisans, you know, by the time, (laughs) you know, so we are one of the largest handmade rug company in the world now. And our supply chain transparency and story is what makes us really special. And, you know, it helps the designers feel 
confident that they're buying consistent quality. They're buying it from a producer that where it's ethically made. Mm -hmm. So our artisans are really kind of the foundation of what we do. And the one word that my father used a lot, which was really giving the dignity back to them because they were really treated as forced laborers, you know, in the mm -hmm. industry. That was the old standard. And he kind of changed that upside down where now he's all about using their capacity and their creativity mm -hmm. to bring them on a global platform. And, and we've built incredible programs that our artisans have won almost seven global awards now. So mm -hmm. in one of our programs, one of our artisans who's never traveled outside her village was in Germany to take the award because of the rug that she conceived and designed, you know. So it's the really these powerful stories and yeah. what we've built. It's a community, really. It's incredible. What he's been able to do. Because I've heard stories where a lot of artisans never even see what the finished product looks like because it gets cut down after it leaves their hands. And so they mm -hmm. don't even know what they're creating. Yeah. So they don't get to see that pride. But you you guys close that loop for them. We have worked really hard to do that. And there are two ways we've done that. One is we have a program where we bring all the artisans into our main head office in Jaipur in India, where they get to spend, you know, a full day and they see a lot of the finished rugs they mm. go into and see how the the, the 18 steps in the finishing process right. after they're done and and, <laughs> and and the actual product that, you know, comes to life. And then we had this program that we started called the postcard program where some of our customers could share an image of the rug in their room and what that oh. looked like. And they could send it as a image back to, back to oh, us so that we uh, could share it with the artisan. And, and that made them feel so proud of their work and, yeah. and gave them such pride in what they did. And, and most people don't realize is I've tried to learn how to weave rug all my life and I'm 41 <laughs> years old and I still can't do it. It, it, it really is an art. So yeah. it does take six months to 12 months if a new artisan wanted to come and really learn about rug weaving. Mm. So it's a very labor intensive process and it does take a long time. These artisans do such beautiful work and they never, I felt like, were dignified for what yeah. they did. Right. I think what we've done is really help them feel pride and joy in their work so that they can enjoy it and, and want to keep doing Especially it. Especially because what the finished product is for the homeowner or end user is creating warmth and coziness and comfort in their homes. So to have the artisans know that and feel it and see it, I, I love that. Yeah, I feel like rug is such a powerful mm -hmm. item in your home. I've seen that a room, like nothing transforms a room more than a rug. It really brings everything together. It's like the foundational element that I've noticed. Totally. So, you could have a like, completely neutral room and then you bring in the right rug and it just makes everything sing. Exactly. It really yeah. ties it all together. I want to talk about, you mentioned how your artisans are working out of their homes. And I know that for a lot of cultures globally, workers will leave smaller villages or they'll leave sort of these loose communities that are spread out in rural areas. And then members of the family have to travel into major cities and they're away from their, their family and their children, their loved ones for, you know, most of the year and sending support back financially. And I love that it creates that sense that this is their home business 
in a sense that they're able to be there for their families still, where in a lot of other businesses, they would have to work in large factory settings and stay in small shared apartments and not be around their family for most of the year. And I feel like that's, it's really powerful to know that they can choose to still have that connection to their families and not, not leave it behind. I think you hit the nail on the head, Sean, with that. That is such a big deal in, uh, in countries like India and also overcrowding of the cities, you know, mm-hmm. if you notice, you know, that because of the migration from villages, it also leads to that. And, and then it leads to a really poor quality of life for these mm-hmm. people, too, because they just are not able to make enough to be able to live a decent, provide a decent income right. for themselves and their families back yeah. home. So right. it definitely checks that. And, and unfortunately, there haven't been, there hasn't been an organization that has worked towards figuring out what are the right standards for home-based workers, even though I would say 48 to 50% of the products in the world are made by people working from home. So we've, mm. I'm on the steering committee of this organization called Nest. We just got the Nest seal actually. And they're the first organization that is really working towards building the standards and identifying, you know, what are the right ways somebody should be working from home and West Elm, Target, William Sonoma, Amazon, quite a few of these brands are on that steering committee, Mm. Patagonia, that are really helping to identify the right standards for these home-based workers. So I'm really proud that we're the first one in our space to be able to get that Nest standard seal and, and have that. So... Oh my gosh. And then even more people now working from home, there's that huge focus on what, what's the right way to do it. But it's so different in produ- you know production-based versus something that's service-based that you want to make sure that people feel um, safe, protected, that they have the right avenues to give them you know a comfortable environment and the way that things are being produced, that there's this sense all the time that we should be getting more things faster and Mm -hmm. for a long time to the detriment of the worker. And can I think that ties in a little bit with the Jaipur Rugs Foundation and the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing there. Can Mm -hmm. you share with us more about that mission and, and what you're accomplishing? Absolutely. So the foundation was started by my father in 2006, really, to it, it was really the mission was to engage with these underprivileged, marginalized, you know, artisan communities and really bring them up through better education, healthcare, and opportunities for growth. So it just wasn't about providing them with a sustainable livelihood that you know, we were doing through the work, but but really uplift them holistically within their community. So it's actually done incredible amount of work so far year to date. I mean, uh, it, it's almost impacted 130,000 artisans through wow. different healthcare camps. And for instance, we've had almost 9,000 of our artisans grow through go through our alternative education program. So you know, 70% of our artisans are women and majority of them don't know how to read and write. So like the alternative education program was started as a partnership with one of our clients in Australia who was very passionate about women and their education. And and it now has become a 
full-flown program where the artisans learn how to read and write and they get up to a second grade level so they can have their own bank accounts. They know how to calculate their income, you know, uh, and allowing their own bank accounts make sure that their husbands don't take away their money mm-hmm. and don't spend mm-hmm. it on alcohol or drugs, which is a huge issue in villages. Mm-hmm. And and the mm-hmm. women make sure that they're spending it on their on themselves or educating their uh, children or on their health and on their well being. So, it these are just amazing, incredible work that the foundation does. And I can speak hours about it, <laughs> but I I do have a favorite program that we started a few years ago, which is called Bunker Saki, which is where they identify women that have leadership skills. They help them build those leadership oh. skills. And then those women become the, I guess, the support for the entire, all the women in that community, in those communities. And then they try to uplift other women and, and some of the stories when you go into these villages and you see them, they give you goosebumps because mm. they're transforming you as a human being and the communities. And that's the work the foundation's really been focused on. It's a huge message of empowerment. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that so much, so many of the rugs are made by women, but then the executive, like the leadership in the rug world is, I mean, it's not surprising, but it's run by men. Yeah. So that's why we really admire you and your role. What is it like being a woman in <laughs> leadership? That's that's a great question. Listen, growing up, we were three daughters. My parents, when they in in and the Indian society, especially where I was born, there was always the marked difference between daughters and son and mm-hmm. what they should do. But I believe I was. I'm lucky to be born to parents who were really visionary and ahead of their time. So my dad actually moved 1,200 miles away so he could give his daughters the exact same things that boys would because he heard that this part of India was the most progressive. So growing up, we never got differentiated and we grew up as very strong, independent women that could (laughs) achieve and do anything we wanted and, you know, fulfill our dreams. So I feel very lucky to have had that education. And I think moving to the States and being in the rug business, I would say initially, I definitely felt like a misfit and Like I didn't Mm. belong because I felt like I was the only women executive and everybody around me (laughs) didn't look like me, Mm -hmm. uh, didn't talk Mm -hmm. like me. And, you know, you definitely tend to get underestimated, which was good for me because I always wanted to prove myself and that, you know, we could do anything. Sometimes I feel like being underestimated is like a superpower. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I feel really proud, you know, I feel like we've done an amazing job as a brand and building the Jaipur brand. And my second sister is our COO and my third sister, she lives in India and she is really regarded as one of the most talented rug designer in the world. Mm. She's probably won more awards than anyone else. And she is incredibly uh, talented. So I feel really proud of what we girls have been able to achieve and I do have two brothers, which we try to boss around all the time (laughs) because they're both younger. (laughs) But I feel proud to be a woman. And 60% of the leadership team at Jaipur Living is women too. So that's great. And, and, you know, 70% of our artisans are women. And I would say 70% of our customers are women. So (laughs) I certainly feel connected. (laughs) Yeah, there's like a level of Uh, encouragement that comes from knowing that 
it's on the right track and that it's working. Did you think your dad ever thought that it would grow to to the level that it has today where you and your sisters are creating this, you know, global enterprise out of Jaipur living? Was that his idea all along, you think, or...? Here, okay, so here's what I'll, I will say. He's definitely proud of what we've been able to achieve, but he's a dad who pushes you every day. So so if I called him this evening, he would tell me, okay, how are you getting to the next level? What do you Mm -hmm. need to do? And he's so inspiring because he always talks about the big picture and the big vision. And Mm -hmm. so what I love about him is, you know, you, I can say the pride in him, but I also see the drive, you know, that Mm. he's passed on to us to be more successful, to be better and continue to grow and evolve. So that's a dad thing, right? To, oh, that's great. You had the best sales. You had the best sales since, you know, in the company's history, but it wasn't better than this. And now, and he wants you to do that. Yeah. 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 How are you going to top it? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, a lot of times when you work with suppliers in India, a lot of times you go and don't, a lot of brands might not treat them well. They might not be fair. So I remember one time, two years ago, he's like, Asha, you have the power to transform these relationships and how everybody's viewed and, and, you know, you're doing that. So just make it bigger, you know, impact more people, <laughs> look at their creative capacity and see how you can engage more, you know? So it's that kind of stuff that really excites me and drives me because he believes in you so much and, and how much more you can do. So it's a really I'm good. blessed. <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory of working with him? Oh, yeah. I remember, I think, when I was probably like 11, 12 years old, when I used to have summer breaks, he would go into these villages. So I remember like tagging along with him. He'd wake up at 5 a.m. We go into these villages. And and I know he used to work and talk with artisans and did whatever he did on the looms, which I never understood. But then the tea would come and the biscuits would come and then there <laughs> would be like some yummy, yummy food. So I feel like just tagging along, seeing him being so respected and how he built from ground up and was really amazing for me. And I love those trips with him. Sounds like it was holistic even then. There was still the tea and treats (sighs) alongside the work. You talked about the artisans and your sister working in the design piece of it. And I think that's fun for like us as creatives because we think about how do we get from this initial idea or what's missing in the industry and what are we looking for? How has working with the the designers impacted the products that you bring to market? I'd say the designers really play a huge voice in our product development. I mean, the designers are the closest to the consumers, what the needs are. So we we ask a ton of questions. We take a lot of feedback and, and then we take that and take it back. And in some cases, we have had our designers actually go to India also, see our supply chain, sit down with the design teams and share their needs and their gaps and where they see opportunity. So their voice has really played a huge role um, in where we are with product and We also have a few collaborations existing. For example, a recent one that we did with Verde Home, they they are designers uh, with a beautiful retail store in Atlanta, but they really understand rugs and like the hand-tufted rug category, which is handmade, but not as expensive as hand-knotted. 
mm-hmm. you know, is like sort of known to have cheap quality, poor wool shedding. Mm-hmm. And we worked with them to launch this tufted collection called Pathways. It actually wears and acts like a hand knotted. It can be used in commercial projects and it's mm-hmm. so high quality, but we would not have been able to do that without their input on what were some of their challenges. And it really took us six months to perfect that construction and come up with all the attributes that are really important important as a designer for them to have for their consumers in the home and then design a product that's really successful. We love working with them and we hope to continue to do that and be able to co-create more collections and more products with their help. I love that level of collaboration, but also the responsiveness because oftentimes as a designer, we kind of feel like I either... I, I take what's out there or I have to have it custom made. But I think that the part of the collaboration with designers is that it's really hearing from them, not just a style or a color that they're missing, because that's only one side of it, but mm-hmm. how to value engineer a price point that still has the quality and the material and the finish that will mm-hmm. work for what a client is looking for is a huge piece, us knowing what vendors we can work with. And so that kind of in that specific example you shared, it takes that guesswork out of it for us because now you know it's in that right pricing category and you can feel more confident in the quality of the materials because it all of that was taken into account. And we yeah, don't often someone see else that. put their name on it, like a designer put their name on it too, which... Yeah, it helps us feel <laughs> yeah. more confident yeah. of... Absolutely, definitely validates uh, <laughs> how designers are shopping. Yeah, we did talk about doing things custom And it ties in directly what you said on the website. And I've been able to pull quotes from the customization program on rug sizes and rug designs. And I I feel like Jaipur Living is one of the companies that does it so well that it makes it really easy. Can you talk more about that program? Totally. The custom program is one of our fastest growing program and a program that we continue to put a lot of effort behind. The biggest challenge with rugs, as you know, especially handmade rugs, is the lead times of the product. (laughs) And especially now with COVID, you can imagine, obviously, the lead times get even longer. So Mm -hmm. what over the last few years where we have really focused on is to design an experience which empowers you to be able to see the custom program, get a quote instantly, see the lead times, and then to be able to really improve on those lead times, working with our own family partners in India. So we've really worked towards that. And now we offer that uh, capability across, I would say, 80% of our products. And, And our next level of customization really is around colors. And eventually, our dream is one on one customization to the point where here are our best artisans that do mm-hmm. traditional and that do contemporary, mm-hmm. that specialize in these. And if you have an idea, submit it, we'll draw it up for you. And then these this artisan will be able to make it for you. Wow. So you can, so that's the ultimate vision of customization for us. But Please, you got to be patient with us. Of course. Oh, my God. We got 48,000 artisans, so getting all their profiles. But, you know, but we feel that one-to-one connection, that human-to-human connection. And then being able to see that process come to life 
is is our ultimate dream and where we want to go with the with our customization journey. I love that. It's, it's like, like a, a it's a fantasy. Dating, like it's like a dating app for <laughs> our rug dreams. <laughs> but baby steps. We're, we're right. working towards okay. more. First, there is our color where we can say, okay, you can maybe have your own pattern. And, and give us your color bank if it's not something that we offer in a product mm-hmm. and then we'll work on that. And, and so our next goal is that. And then year two, our goal is to be able to do where we connect you directly with an artisan and help you find something of your dream, hopefully. <laughs> I, I love it because we there, there's so many awkward rooms that aren't shaped uniformly. And, and so the common sizes are great because they usually cover most spaces. But every once in a while, you just have that unique furniture arrangement or a different space. And you're like, gosh, if this rug could just be, you know, a foot narrower, but like three feet longer for me, that would be Mm -hmm. great. And I think that that's where it is possible. And you can get a quote, you can fill out all the information and do it all from the website. You guys have Mm -hmm. really dialed in what the what the pricing looks like, what the scalability looks like. And, and that just kind of, I think, further demonstrates how much you know, your business that you're able to confidently come up with some of those numbers and create that so quickly. Absolutely. It, yeah. You well, know where it all is. <laughs> well, we've learned that you designers, you like to be empowered and you like to control. You like to design. You like to design <laughs> and you, yeah, exactly. And, and you like to be in control of the process. So our goal has really, what we've just done is heard what our designers were asking and just try to make sure we empower them to do it at their convenience. But then it gives them all that information instantly in a way that they can, you yeah. know, feel confident about it. And it kind of goes back to the yeah. roots with your dad starting it and being side by side with the artisan and working together with the design. So yeah, that's no, really that, cool. that, that human connection is a big part of our brand and, I would say that's really what differentiates us from everyone else. So I was yeah. just in high point and everybody's like, oh my God, we haven't seen this kind of teamwork. Everybody is so happy mm. and, you know, it's such an amazing vibe. And I feel that those are the comments other than the product, of course, that make me feel so proud that we're really building a brand that resonates with our customers. So, How was high point this year? You know, surprisingly, now going into it, I had no idea what to expect, but I was uh, really amazed at the traffic. I mean, now it was, of course, down compared to a couple of years ago, but we've written more orders and our dollars are higher than what we did in April of 2019. Oh, wow. So I'm really blown away by that. So. I think there's still a lot of pent up demand and then the the absence of new influence by not being at markets or not Mm -hmm. being able to see vendors for a long time. It it just created this void and consumers and designers are anxious to fill that and to get back to it. And so I do hope we can all feel inspired again (laughs) as as the world opens up. Hot in Designers Club is proud to partner with Jcord Living. When we're looking for trade vendors, things we care about are beautiful products, how easy it is to order, and whether we're supporting companies who are doing good in the world. We both really believe that a good rug makes the room, and Jcord Living helps us bring quality rugs and textiles into our projects. 
Their website makes it quick to track inventory, place orders, and even get pricing on customized rugs. And Jport Living is a family-owned company with a focus on social responsibility. They are changing the lives of more than 40,000 artisan weavers throughout India by providing a living wage, education, and access to healthcare. So that means that every rug we sell to our clients is helping someone support their family. And hotties, we know you're going to love supporting women in business. More than 85% of Jaipur Living's weavers are women and they're a female-led company. Head to jaipurliving.com slash HYD to sign up for your trade partner account today. The recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic looks very different in the United States and, I mean, across different states, but we know that that recovery is not the same that's playing out internationally and around the world. Or can you share a little bit more about how that's affected your artisans and the supply chain and and Jaipur living sure. you know, from that perspective? No, of course. And it's really unfortunate. I'm sure you all have seen the news mm-hmm. coming out of India and it's been a pretty terrible story. So what happened with India is India got, I guess, due to people being a little bit more comfortable or getting out of the comfort zone in terms of mm-hmm. starting to gather for festivals, holidays, not wearing masks. And and a lot of political rallies started where people started gathering in those events. Mm-hmm. and and. All of a sudden, I guess there were a couple of variants that were already there, and and they these variants are five to eight times more infectious than okay. the initial variant that hit India. So unfortunately, India was caught by surprise, and it right. sort of devastated really. I mean, the entire economic system. A right. city like Delhi had almost with millions of people had 55, 60% of the population going through COVID all at the same time. I mean, it was really massive. And obviously the concentration, I guess a good thing for us was the concentration was a lot in the major cities where we do have Mm -hmm. some offices and finishing centers, but the villages weren't as badly hit as the cities were just because of the proximity and closeness. Uh, So Obviously, we saw a huge disruption in supply chain. Last year, India was shut for almost four to six weeks and pretty much the whole country was shut. And obviously, nothing, no products could be moved. The only saving grace was the artisans that were working from home were able to continue to do so. But unfortunately, several of our artisans are the family within Jaipur get impacted. And unfortunately, few of the family members are dying because of COVID. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. a lot of young people got also impacted by it. And sort of all came as a surprise, you know. And it, it's just been heartbreaking to see that, you know, my parents and my brother and sister still live in India. So it's very personal and I'm very close to them. But I, I do feel we're hopefully on the the worst is behind us and it's starting to open up in very short durations and with very limited capacity. But obviously that's impacted our movement of goods. So our ETAs, lead times, obviously we're we're, we're going to continue to see delays. And then on top of that, a huge part of the supply chain issue has already been logistics, getting goods out of the port 
and yeah. uh, incredible demand. I'm sure you guys have heard about stories of that. So even out of India, it's been a big choke point. And luckily, we have great partners we've been working with. But moving goods is a huge issue right now that it's the last thing we think about. But there are no containers. There are no boats. It's really unbelievable how maybe we just all got so forgetful of mm -hmm. all the all the humanity that's into the process of the personal health and well-being of someone who makes makes a rug for us is mm -hmm. important to us. Right. We just got so disconnected from that as buyers or as consumers, as homeowners, if we're thinking of our clients, that it just became easy to forget. I get stuck because it's taking something so awful to teach us how to value people and, and how many you know, human hands really need to touch shippers. everything. Yeah, it's totally. just every, there are people at every step of the way who have a life and a family and their own challenges. And, you know, they're getting their kids to school. And I think we need to keep remembering that if that's something we can take away from it is that we all have something that we're contributing into the world, but that we're also all dealing with our lives and our families. And maybe we just take it less for granted that these things are more important sometimes than than the good or the service we're putting out there. Right. So. No, you're so absolutely right. And it's really hard to see behind the scenes and it's hard mm -hmm. to see because, okay, I needed to get this order by October 30th and why it's yeah. late, you know? We sometimes, to your point, lost that humanity and, and, and the background, but hopefully COVID is helping us all get to realize the importance of that. And, and I yeah. would say, you know, to the design community too, is to be more compassionate about mm -hmm. those issues when you see them, because I know every brand wants to do a good job and yeah. meet your expectations. And, and, and when it comes to these products that really are work of art and work of love and have so many human hands behind them that mm -hmm. the, the disruption that's been caused has, has been really heartbreaking. And just to be right. a little bit more empathetic and understanding to that, I know goes a really long way. So for sure, it's not like you'd have backlogs or, or delays if you could help it. No, totally not our choice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the similar message that we're encouraging our our listeners and designers to share with clients is that same message of let's not hide the the process that's behind this from from clients, from consumers. Let's make sure they know how is this made, where is it made, who's making it. I think it just helps with that broader perspective. It helps them be more understanding and they can share part of that. And then the joy and the excitement of beautifully handmade pieces that lives on even longer past the six months they had to wait to get it is they can share that the exciting part of the story of, you know, I waited so long for this and it was 100% worth it because it's beautiful and only mine looks exactly like this. And it took that many months to create something that's truly unique and beautiful. And I think that's really compelling for, for our clients and for us. Thank you for that understanding. <laughs> yes. We like to take our guests through a couple of questions. We call them the burning questions. Mm -hmm. Okay. Asha, what's one piece of advice that you would give to designers to help them attract their dream clients? 
be yourself. I feel like that always works. You could never go wrong with that. I agree. We're sp spending that journey a lot with, with designers of don't, don't follow someone else. Don't take someone else's aesthetic or plan and just keep carbon copying it. I totally agree. Okay. What have you done for professional development recently that you would recommend to our listeners? So we did a leadership assessment um, a couple of months ago. It's a workshop called Strengths Finder Workshop, mm. which is based oh, yeah. on the book Strengths Finder. Mm -hmm. And what was amazing was how it really helps you focus on your strengths and how you use your strengths to really be better instead of always somebody telling you, here's your biggest weakness. Let's build a plan around that. Uh -huh. so, <laughs> so it's a really different approach. And we did that as a leadership um, team. And it was really eye-opening and it made us vulnerable to each other, but also mm -hmm. really helped us understand what drives us, what are our strengths, and and then helping each other, how do we leverage each other's strengths, you know, to get to the next step. So I found that to be really helpful. And so if you haven't read Strengths Finder, or I, I would highly recommend you give it a shot. It really... Sean it, has. I haven't. I'm a fan. Yeah. What's a design element that you've been drawn to lately? It could be a material, a finish, an object. I mean, you just came from yeah. market too, so... Yeah. Well, see, for me, that changes. I think what I'm finding that I love lately is things that are simple, organic, uh, textural, kind of mm -hmm. like that have a very timeless, classic look and feel to them. Just yeah. things that feel very grounding and mm. that are statement pieces. So I've just been very attracted to a lot of those looks. <laughs> yeah, I can see. Yeah. Like, I'm really curious what the uh -huh. kind of design effect is going to be from post-COVID. I mm -hmm. feel like there is going to be this, like, strive towards things that are uncomplicated and comfort-driven. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I think that we'll see later. Like, we won't be able to tell until we're out of it, but yeah. how we're how it keeps developing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's definitely been my experience. If you could live on the set of any TV show or a movie, what would it be? Ooh. So I would say Paris is my favorite place on earth. So mm -hmm. any TV show or any movie that has Paris as a background in it, <laughs> shot in Paris, <laughs> I could live in it. So any time is, period. Is there a favorite any time, time period? Uh, no, that's one thing I would say after, with the pandemic I miss is just traveling, traveling yeah. to yes. Paris and Europe and finding that inspiration and just little neighborhoods. Mm, so, yeah. Okay, so what is one non-living object you would save from your home in a fire? Ooh. I'd say my gratitude rock. Oh, uh, what is that? So, so I started practicing gratitude. I mean, you know, with COVID, we've all gone through shifts mm -hmm. in how we feel. And mm -hmm. I've gone through ups and downs. And, sure. and with a two-year-old, it's like, okay, there's, <laughs> oh, there's so much going on. A lot and, of ups and downs yeah. with and, a two-year-old. And I've found really grounding. So I did a 28-day gratitude course. And part mm -hmm. of that process is having a rock or an object that before you go to bed, you just say thank you to a few things, you know, that you're grateful for that day. And I feel that has really shifted my perspective and it's been game changing for me and how I feel. So, so I would say that so would be one object I would say. So the idea of the gratitude rock is it's a physical reminder. 
uh-huh. it's just a it. yeah, it's just a rock that says gratitude on it. But mm-hmm. you know, I sort of you know have it in my palms before I go to bed and just say gratitude to two or three things mm-hmm. that I'm really grateful for for that day. And it takes thirty seconds, but it really. Mm-hmm just shifts how you think about life and what you're grateful for. And that has changed how I feel. And probably sleep better too. (laughs) And I bet you sleep better too. I I completely agree. Yeah. It's a really powerful thing to verbalize it and, and to really create some intention around things like that. Rebecca and I have talked a lot about how the, the idea of, we're all so busy and we're so happy to have found some prosperity in all of what might have been a really hard time and still had its hard moments. Mm-hmm. But to be able to bring gratitude to ourselves to say, thank thank goodness the phone does keep ringing. Thank goodness mm-hmm. that clients do still want to do projects or mm-hmm. add to their projects. And to, to find that in, intentionality to say, I am happy for this. I am grateful for this. Even when mm-hmm. we get bogged down by upset toddlers or upset clients or, or back orders <laughs> or back or whatever back it might be exactly so or a new supply chain issue that just yeah. came up right yeah oh, there's, it's, uh-huh. there will always be something but to just take that time to say but you know what there are some really great things that we're excited about and happy to have and remind ourselves that you know we're still human beings and and we can enjoy the, the process a little bit along the way so exactly Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. We've loved having you on the show and sharing your story, but also Jaipur Living's story with our listeners. And we can't wait to talk more about it. All right. That was so fun talking to her. I know we could have talked about a lot of stuff for the rest of the day. I know. She's just like a real person. (laughs) (laughs) CEOs. They're just like us. (laughs) Totally. Um, I mean, not always, right? No, like, it's, it was, she's not like that, I shoot from my hips type of like right. power talk, think out the power, box, power, shift power. the paradigm type of CEO. <laughs> like, Yeah, no, it was really refreshing to hear from a CEO who's like actually passionate about what they're doing and wanting to do good in the world. I feel like a lot of times it becomes this just corporate check the box. But mm-hmm. their company has been built on this idea of supporting the artisans from the very beginning, even with her dad, like sitting down and having tea. Yeah, I like, like that idea of like humanizing. All, yeah, like there's a business efficiency that comes from ha- having everyone fully integrated into their business. But there's also mm-hmm. that connection that you build and the trust and relationship with all of their employees and the craftsmen and it's all important because there's humans involved from the beginning. I really love that. And it shows in what they produce. And, you know, I like supply chain transparency components that come up because I want to know when something's getting delayed, I need to be able to like put it into words for clients and tell them like, this is how this rug is made. It's made in a village in India by a family, by a craftsman. And they're taking months to do this. You're right. you're not just getting something that was thrown on a machine. I want to be able to tell the story of how does it get all the way from India to your home and I think that's important for clients to hear. I love having those stories too to tell. When you were saying supply chain transparency, I was thinking is this in stock? 
Oh, (laughs) well, that is also major. And just from a running our business and weird hours or whatever. I can log in at 11 o'clock when I'm trying to finish a proposal and I can get an ETA. They know how many rugs they're producing in that style and when they anticipate them. And it's it's really accurate. accurate. You don't have to wait for the rep to get back to you. You know me, I love a well-designed website and they (laughs) definitely put some time and effort into that. And it's awesome. Yeah, I appreciate that. And... From a, from a podcast perspective, I think that we shouldn't let it go unnoticed that we're really grateful for sponsored content and the ability to work with sponsors because it lets us keep doing what we love as a Hot Young Designers Club. And just so you guys know, we are really, I guess, discriminating? No, what's a better word? Deliberate? Thoughtful? Yeah. <laughs> thoughtful Bougie. about who, <laughs> well, who we partner with. We're not just out there money grabbing. We have to feel really good and confident with who we're supporting. Right. And we love getting all the support from all of our hotties. And it is very helpful for us if you are setting up your trade partner account with JPOR Living to go to the customized Hot Young Designers web link to sign up. That's helpful for us. More from showing Jaypour where the new accounts are coming from. And of course, podcasting for us and running the Hot Young Designers Club is a big investment of our time and our energy. It's not free. And so (laughs) everything that you do helps us to keep all of the helpful information coming your way. Yes. Thank you, hotties, for your support. I mean, we want to be doing this without any of you. So thank you. Until next time, stay hot, designers. Thanks for joining this meeting of the Hot Young Designers Club podcast. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Check out the show notes there for links to things we talked about today. We are keeping the conversation going on Instagram, so don't forget to like, comment, and follow at Hot Young Designers Club. You can find Rebecca on Instagram at Studio Plum. And you can find Sean at Renstead Interiors. That's W-R-E-N-S-T-E-D. Oh, every time I get on a plane, it's like... (sighs) And then you'll be like, Kevin! Exactly. I gotta do... Desmond's sitting in the house by himself. Mom?